Excellent. Well, we're going to dive into the Word of God this morning, and we're continuing our series of House of Prayer. And we've been in this series, and as I said, it's, I keep saying, it's not just a teaching series on a Sunday morning. It's a, it's a, a leg of the journey of family church that we are on. And do you know, it's amazing that as we've turned our focus to prayer, and it wasn't something that we were like, oh, what have we not spoken about for a while? Oh, let's just flick through. Let's just see. No, this was something that was birthing within it right uh, earlier in the year, and God was saying, as soon as summer is over, put an emphasis on prayer, put an emphasis on prayer. And all throughout the congregations, we are seeing incredible growth. We are seeing miracles. We are seeing just, just people set free from things. God is in our midst and doing a mighty work as we're choosing to focus in on this particular topic. But we've covered so much. I'm not going to go over it this morning. It's all available uh, online. We've been in this for seven or eight weeks in terms of Sunday morning uh, teaching. But today, we want to look at another aspect of this. And I want to talk about praying for others. That's our focus. That's our, uh, our spotlight this morning, praying for others, that God hasn't just called us to pray for ourselves, but also to pray for other people. Now, as we open up this thought today, we're going to be talking about something that Nimi touched upon last week. Didn't Nimi do a great job sharing on the types of prayer last week? And um, he talked about, touched upon this thought of intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer. And, and that word intercession, I guarantee you, it's not a word that you use very often unless you happen to be talking about prayer, right? It's not a word that we band around. Chances are none of you have used the word this week unless you happen to be saying, you know, didn't Nimi do a great job talking about intercession last week? Or I wonder if Steve's going to talk about intercession. Chances are you haven't used it. And so here's a point that I want to make before we move any further with this. That when something seems complicated, when something is a little bit unknown, we often step back out of feelings of inferiority. And we let other people take the space who we feel really know about the subject. Let me just share a couple of everyday examples and then we're going to look at how this applies to prayer. Last Sunday morning, um, as the setup team were, were setting up church, and actually last week it was the youth who do it once a month, and you need to know that every single Sunday when you come into church, there have been people here early who have been preparing the place practically, and then also we've been praying spiritually for what God's going to do. And we honor and thank those people who come each week. But as they were doing that, um, I was a bit of, you know, I was a bit spare, hadn't got much to do. And so I thought, I'm going to go around and check all the radiators because, you know, when you have a bleeding key, you feel like a proper bloke. And so I walked around with the site, and, and we hadn't turned them on for quite a while, and uh, the boilers are you know, working again. So we thought, okay, I'll just go around and check. And so I was going around and bleeding the radiators, some of them that needed it, others didn't need it. And there was one radiator in the secondary hall that I got to, and I tried to bleed it, and instantly the water came out. I was like, okay, so it doesn't need bleeding. Uh, I was checking everything. Yeah, everything's right as it should be, uh, but it's not functioning. It's not causing heat. And so I contacted Sir Christopher Mills, who some of you have got, uh, understand have got a knighthood for his services to boilers. And so I said to him, oh, this is a situation I don't really know what's happening. And he sent me a text, I should have got it, he sent me a text that basically said, oh yeah, I know what that is, you just need to wiggle the pin in the TRV. And I went, of course you do, obviously. And, and in that moment, as I looked at that text, I thought, I, have no, I don't know whether you're communicating in tongues this morning or what's going on, but I just, I just took a step back and I said, I'll wait until you arrive, <laughs> out of my inferiority. And so he turned up with a tool and I watched, and I'll tell you what, revelation led to application, because I watched him as he worked. He's actually cleverer than he looked, actually, and, and he, he made the stuff work. 
And then I said to Kirsty, do you know what, because she having to come into the room, I said, when I get home, love, I'm going to make sure all the radiators are working. I'm going to go and, and fiddle with a pin in the TRVs, and I'm going to make sure they're working. And Chris was like, if you get it wrong, a fountain comes out. She's like, don't you dare. But out of inferiority, I stepped back. A few months ago, we were looking at getting um, D1 certificates for our, our minibus uh, volunteer drivers, and uh, Steve Baker was asking about it. Steve Baker is our business manager, who does an amazing job. But I contacted, again, uh, Sir Paul Warrington, who has you know, services to minibuses. And uh, I contacted him and said, oh, look, we're looking at getting D1 certificates. And boy, if you think somebody doesn't look clever, but actually are, I mean, he fits the bill. I mean, I was like, wow, okay. Because he replied and he sent me an email. I actually can't just say it. I've got, to, I've got to run down here. He talked about a PCV medical, a D4 medical form, a D2 form, a CPC part 3A. I'm like, that's from Star Wars, isn't it? I'm like, he's literally just making stuff up, just like sat there. I imagine him, Paul, just like bashing his keyboard. But again, out of inferiority, I was like, I have no clue what you're talking about. Forwarded the email. I'm like, over to you. Someone else deal with this. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is not just for randomness. The reality is when we talk about intercession and intercessory prayer, we've got to be careful that we don't build a culture where we have some super prayers with all the super knowledge of what it is to pray, who we say, oh, they're the ones who are called to pray for others and to intercede, and the rest of us sit back on the subspench. Because if we're not careful, we create a culture in churches where a few VIPs of prayer pray, I mean, you may have listened to Steph, and you thought, oh, yeah, no, that's, that's for Steph, that's not for me. No, 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 the Bible says that this is for every single one of us. What is one of the key things we've been learning about prayer in this series? Prayer is for everyone, amen? All of us are called to pray. And so I want to look at this thought of intercessory prayer, praying for others. And my hope is that by the time that we're done in this journey this morning, every one of us in this room would know that we can and we should intercede and pray for other people. So let's start off with the basics. What is intercessory prayer? Now, as Nimi touched upon last week when he talked about the healing of relationships and, and intercessory prayer and all that kind of stuff, intercessory prayer, when you boil it down at its most basic form, is the act of praying on behalf of others. Ta-da! That's it. I mean, you can, you can go to you know, theological college and all that kind of study, all that. At the most basic form, it's praying for other people. And we're going to look at the practicalities of that in a moment and find some examples in God's word of people that we are called to pray for. But the Bible is clear that intercession and praying for other people is the privilege and the calling of all believers. Just give me a, a wave if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. and so If you would call yourself a Christian, okay? Every single one of you who just raised your hands, this call is for you. This opportunity, this privilege is for you. This is not a privilege for some exclusive club of VIP Christians who pray. This is a call of every single one of us as followers of Jesus. You see, when Peter was in prison, you read about it in Acts chapter 12, the church came together to pray for his release. They didn't say, oh, get a group of people and put them to the side and we'll go on with everything else, but, but they can pray for people. The church came together to intercede and to pray. And this is so important that we lay that foundation because if we don't understand this, this is what happens, and I've seen it too many times in church before, that we create these feelings of pride and superiority in some who do pray and intercede, and we create a culture of cop-out 
for every single other person who says, I'll watch from the sidelines, and this is for those VIPs of prayer. We are all called to this. So intercession is praying on behalf of others. And here's a key thought or phrase that you may have heard talked about when it comes to praying for others and intercession. It's this phrase, standing in the gap. Now, you may have heard that, and sometimes we use Christianese language, and you're like, what on earth does that mean? Somebody was telling me they were standing in the gap. What does that actually mean? And in Ezekiel chapter 22, we get a spotlight on this. Now, in Ezekiel 22 is a passage. It talks about the sins of a nation of Israel and how they've been going wrong. And God says, because of that, I'm going to disperse you among the nations. But then he says this in Ezekiel 22, verse 30. Let me just grab some water. Ezekiel 22, 30. It says, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I searched for someone to stand in a gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. God says, I was looking not just for a natural builder, I was looking for a man of prayer. I was looking for an Abraham, I was looking for a Moses, I was looking for a David, a person who through prayer would stand in the gap between heaven and earth, but there was no one who interceded on behalf of Jerusalem. God said, I looked, but I could find no one. The inclination being that if somebody had stepped in the gap, the destruction of Jerusalem at that time could have been Avoided. Psalm 106, 23, another Old Testament example. And this is the time when uh, Moses is yet to return from a mountain and they, the Israelites get bored. And so they say, hey, let's worship a golden calf. And so they melt down all the gold that they have and jewelry and they begin to worship a golden calf. And this seems ridiculous until you realize how much different stuff we worship nowadays as false idols. But that's another story for another day. But they're in this mode where they're worshiping. And so God, in response has something to say about this. Psalm 106, 23, looking back at that time, it says, so God declared he would destroy them. Remember, and this is Old Covenant, Old Testament, before Jesus came, but God looked at their disobedience and declared he would destroy them. But Moses, his chosen one, stepped between the Lord and the people. He begged God to turn from his anger and not destroy them. So Moses, in that moment, stepped in the gap and saved the people of Israel with his prayers. And there are loads of examples, Old Testament and New Testament, that you could look at of people interceding, of people praying for others. Abraham interceded for Sodom, on behalf of Sodom. You can read down in Genesis 18. Stephen prayed for those who were about to stone him to death. And so he's about to be killed, and he prays for the people who are going to kill him. He intercedes for the people who are going to kill him in that moment. You can read that in Acts chapter 7. Paul interceded for Israel's salvation in Romans chapter 10. Jesus himself, our Savior, our example. But when he's hanging on the cross in that moment, and he looks out at those who have put him on the cross, he looks out at those who are mocking him, he looks out at those who are gambling for his clothes, and what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus, in his ministry, was continually praying for others, interceding for others. Let's look at a few more examples. John 17, 20. Jesus says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, so that the world will believe you sent me. Jesus modeled what it was to pray for others. And in fact, the Bible tells us that today, 
he continues to intercede on our behalf. The Bible says, where is he? He's seated at the right hand of a father interceding on our behalf. Listen to these verses, Hebrews 7.25. Therefore he is able, Jesus, once and forever, to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Romans 8 verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. So this thought of praying for people, of interceding for people, is woven all throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, standing in a gap. It's also described at times as being the bridge. We talk about being the bridge between earth and heaven, that our prayers do that. And guess what? None of this has stopped just because the Bible stopped being written. Because in heaven, the word of God is still being spoken and written over our lives. God has called you and God has called me to intercede. Do we believe that this morning? To stand in the gap, to be the bridge, to pray for others, to intercede for people as far away and remote from your life as kings and leaders, but also to intercede and to pray for people as close to you as your children and your family. So if that's the case, let's just take a moment this morning to look at who, according to the Bible, who we are called to pray for and intercede for. Now, next week, we're going to look at one particular category and focus all our teaching time on that. We're going to talk about praying for the sick um, next week, and what a great introduction to that from Steph this morning. But who else does the Bible call us to pray for? The Bible shows us an example of what it is to pray and intercede for the church. The church. Now, in Colossians chapter 1, we read... In Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, he's writing and he's telling them, I've been praying for you, and we've got to understand that here he is in prison, praying for a group of believers that he's never even met. And the Bible says, Colossians 1, 9, 12, he says this, So we, talking about himself and Timothy, we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you will live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. So Paul was praying for this set of believers that he's never met. And when you read through the New Testament and all these letters, he's continually praying for people, people that he's met, people that he hasn't met, different bodies of believers. He prays for the church. And you and I, as the body of Christ on this earth today, have been called to intercede and pray for the church. Amen? We've been called to pray for the church globally. Right? We've got to intercede for, on behalf of a persecuted church. It's not enough to stand here on Global Sunday and to read out some stats that sadden us and shock us and not do anything about it. But when we hear those statistics of how many people are dying for their faith around the world, when we hear about churches that are burnt to the ground just because they're standing for their principles and for their faith, we've got to be moved to a place of intercession where we say, no, we are going to take responsibility and pray and be watchmen and stand in a gap and pray for the church across our globe, especially the persecuted church. We've got to pray for the church in this nation. The church in this nation needs a praying people. 
And amongst the backdrop of all that's going on, we need to be a praying people. The church in heaven needs our prayer. Not just family church, but every church that preaches the message of the gospel. Amen. We've got to intercede for them. We've got to pray for them because this isn't about family church. This is about the kingdom of God. One of my prayers is, God, would you send even more evangelists? God, would you send more church planters to the area of Lee Park and Haven? Because this isn't about how big can family church get. This is about how many people in the area of Haven can we see saved and won for the gospel and the kingdom of God expand. Amen. We've got to get far less selfish in our Christianity and not say, how can we fill up church? We've got to be saying, God, would you give us that building? God, would you give that church that building? Because the multitudes are coming and the harvest is going to be so great. That's a freeing prayer when we begin to pray for other believers. We've got to pray for family church. We've got to pray for each other. Pray for your connect group. We've got to pray for the church and intercede for the church. Now, on Remembrance Sunday... I'm also reminded that we pray for those who grieve and we intercede on their behalf. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. When you read through scripture, God clearly cares about those suffering from grief. And I'm not just talking about grief. Grief can take many forms. Obviously, the obvious one we think of is the grieving of losing a loved one. That's an obvious thing to think of. But grief can take many different forms for many different reasons. And the Bible says God is close to the brokenhearted. That means that our hearts should be moved to pray that the Holy Spirit, as he promised he would, would come and strengthen and comfort those whose spirits are crushed. We pray for those who are grieving. We pray for the lost and prodigals. Do you know Jesus cares about the lost. Jesus cares about the saved, but Jesus cares about the lost. In fact, Luke 19 verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. His very mission on the earth was to come and seek and save those who are lost. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus shares three parables. Remember, parables, if you knew the church, are just earthly stories that carry a heavenly meaning and context. And so Jesus shares three stories, three parables, all about lost things. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. What ties those three stories together? The desperation to find what was lost and the joy when that thing has been found. Jesus cares for the lost. The Bible says that God's will is that none should perish. And so this is the heart of God. And we've got to stand in a gap between a lost eternity, a lost humanity, and a Father in heaven who loves them and whose will is that none of them would perish. We've got to stand in that gap. We've got to pray for those who don't know Jesus in our family, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in this community where God has planted us. Right? Again, let's talk about another unselfish prayer. We it's not good enough that we come here on a Sunday morning and thank God and celebrate God's goodness in our lives and, and, and just thank God for this building and yet not have a heart for those whose lives surround this very building. We've got to intercede and pray for the lost. Amen? Not just when we gather on a Sunday morning, but throughout a week. God, I don't just want to turn up to a building that's in the middle of Lee Park. I want to see the lost in Lee Park saved. I want to see the lost in Lee Park added to the kingdom. When we talk about the lost son in Luke 15, often he's re referred to as the prodigal son. We talk about prodigals. What do we mean by that? We're talking about people who knew God but went away from him. People who were in the, in the house of God 
but went away from him. Many of you know prodigals who are in your own family, in your own situations. Others, you, others of you can think of people that you would see as prodigals. And we've got to intercede for them. All of us. Not just some elite prayers that we stick in a cupboard somewhere and say, hey, go intercede for the prodigal. No, every single believer, we're going to intercede for these people. Parents, if you have a prodigal child, grandparents, if you have a prodigal grandchild, can I encourage you, in fact, can I implore you to keep praying and not give up? If your child, if your spouse, if your nephew, your niece, whoever it might be, is rebellious to the things of God right now, refuse to give up on their life, no matter how bad it may get, no matter how far it may seem that they are from God right now, keep praying. Remember all that we spoke about when we talked about persistent prayer. Remember all that we spoke about when we talked about praying with faith. Keep praying that prayer of praise and thanksgiving that Nimi spoke about last week. Even when you have no reason to hope, you keep hoping that they will come back to a knowledge of God as their Lord and Savior. Amen? We've got to pray for those prodigals. As a pastor, I've lost count in, in a good sense. I've lost count of a number of times I sit with somebody, and I love asking this question, tell me your story. I love hearing stories of how God has redeemed somebody and how they came to a knowledge of Jesus. Tell me your story. And I, I, I've lost count of a number of times somebody will say their story, and then they would say something along the lines of this, and in the background there was a praying mum. In the background there was a praying dad. In the background, there were grandparents who were praying for me. In the background, there were my friends at church who kept believing and kept praying for me. Can I encourage you today, as I said earlier, take heart but take authority and pray for those prodigal people in our lives. Who else? Now we're getting a bit more remote from our personal lives, but these are people we're still instructed and called to pray for. Leaders and those in authority. 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 2 says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. The early church knew what it was to pray for those in authority. Here's a quote from the early church leader, Tertullian. He says, we pray for all the emperors that God may grant them long life. A secure government, a prosperous family, vigorous troops, a faithful senate, an obedient people, that the whole world may be in peace, and that God may grant both to Caesar and to every man the accomplishments of their just desires. So sometimes you're watching the news and you think, what on earth can I do? Sometimes you're watching the news, in fact, probably most times you watch the news, it feels so hopeless. What can we do? We can pray. And you may say, well, hang on a minute. How can I in my living room make any difference? Well, are you going to argue with the Bible? Because the Bible says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and produces wonderful results. It doesn't say when the, when the, when the counter gets to a thousand people, then it's powerful. It says, no, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and can produce wonderful results. So we pray. You say, I don't even know what to pray in these situations that I'm looking at. How on earth do I know what to pray? And this is where all our teaching ties in together. Remember what Mark spoke about a few weeks ago. But he says that when we pray in the Spirit, we pray the perfect prayer. We pray God's perfect will over those situations. Sometimes I don't know what to pray in a situation, but I know the Holy Spirit does within me, knows how to pray for situations. So, so we've got to pray for those who are in leadership and those who are in authority. 
You may not have voted for the people who are in authority over your life right now, but the Bible calls you to pray for them. You may not agree with any single one of their policies right now, but the Bible calls you to pray for them. When things change and if the opposition get in, you may not have voted for them. You may not like them. But the Bible calls you to pray for them, to intercede. We can't be people who just moan about the way society is. We've got to be people who are praying and interceding for those who make our laws in this nation. Now, for anyone who's slightly offended that we've talked about praying for them, Jesus also has something else to say. And he says that we're called to pray and intercede for our enemies. Now we've talked on this subject before that you know, we don't often use that term enemy, but we all have people in our life that we struggle with, right? Don't leave me, I'm the only one. Wow, can we just change lives for a week? So apparently none of you have any difficult people in your life. Okay, one honest person in the second row, thank you. Okay, let, let's just pretend I'm just talking to you. I have difficult people in my life sometimes. <laughs> I and mean, then not sat on the front row, just to clarify, we have a great marriage. Okay, I'm, I'm digging myself a hole. Let's just move on. Okay, we all have difficult people. We all have people that we struggle with in life. You have people. We're all surrounded by people who are in opposition to our faith. Some of them fiercely in opposition to our faith. We have people who just seem to be intent on making our life difficult. And you know what Jesus says about those people? Matthew 5.44. I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And so when we read that this morning, some of you are like, uh, your instant reaction is, God, can I just like, avoid them? I promise not to gossip about them. No, 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 Jesus says it's not enough just to not do stuff. You need to be active. You need to pray for those people. Why? Because Jesus knows that we're called to intercede on behalf of others. But he also knows this, that when we pray, something changes in us. So let me give you two prayers that we pray when we pray for others who we would maybe term, even though we wouldn't call them most, our enemies. The first prayer is this, we pray for ourselves. And it may be as honest and heartfelt, in fact it probably should be as honest and heartfelt as, God, I don't like this person. I don't like being around this person. I find this person incredibly difficult. Help me to change. Because you can't take responsibility for other people. You can only take responsibility for yourself and being responsive to what God is saying in your life. Now, hear me clearly. There are times when that's not talking about the restoration of a relationship in the cases of abuse and all that kind of stuff. I want to make that absolutely clear this morning. But what I'm talking about is relationships where God wants to do a work in you and then through you. The first prayer is, God, help me to change. And then the second prayer is this, we pray for that person. As I've said before when teaching this, you don't pray that they get struck by lightning, okay? You don't pray that their car breaks down in the fast lane of the M27. Lord, if that would be your will, may it come to pass. What, what do we pray? Well, the Bible tells us, Romans 12, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. We pray, God, I want, genuinely want what is best for that person. So often this goes against what we would want to do, but Jesus says, pray for them. Paul says, pray that God will bless them. You see how this thought of praying for others involves so many different groups of people. This is a major part of what it means to be a house of prayer, what it means to be a people of 
prayer. We are called to intercede. Not because intercessory prayer is a numbers game. You need to hear me very clearly this morning. It's not like heaven is waiting, seriously, until there's 20 or 40 or 100 people because prayer is not a petition in the sense of signing something and getting God to move when enough people have signed it. Prayer is not a petition. Prayer is not a way of twisting God's arm, as we said in the very first week of this, to force him to do something why do we pray we don't intercede because it's a vote or petition? We intercede because it's an act of obedience. Because the Bible has called us to pray for others. We have been called to be a people of prayer. Not just to communicate with God, though that's vital. Not just to pray for ourselves, though that's important. But to pray for other people too. So here's a question for you. We're going to wrap up. Helen, you can come up. We're going to pray. Here's a question that I want to leave you with as you step into this coming week. And it's a pretty simple question. Who do you need to intercede for? Who do you need to intercede for? Now, there may just be one name on that list. There may be a whole bunch. And that's why sometimes people make prayer lists or, or prayer boards. And what we don't want is that you just go through that person and I'm talking about a real heart connection of interceding, of standing in the gap, of saying, God, your will be done in this situation, this person's life. Who is it that the Holy Spirit is calling you to intercede for? And it may be somebody remote from you, but you just know God is calling you to pray for government, to pray for local council, to pray for leadership. It, it may be that God is calling you to pray for that prodigal. You say, I have it. No, 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 but to pray like never before for that person who do you need to intercede for and here's the simplicity of it begin to pray with all the stuff that we've been talking about over this series uncomplicating things begin to pray pray with sincerity for that person pray regularly for that person sometimes you're going to have to pray and fast at the same time for that person pray with faith for that person pray whilst also maybe practically helping. You know, sometimes we just say, I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you. And that's vitally important. That's the first port of call. But also, God calls us to show kindness. And sometimes there's a call to pray, but also to practically help where we can. Pray with your motivation being rooted in love. Let me just end with this. This is so important. But when you pray and intercede for others, you're not just praying that you would just see the result. You're praying out of a motivation of love, God's love for that person, for that group of people, for that situation. Who do you need to pray and intercede for this week? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word is living and active. I thank you that your word changes situations. And Lord, I thank you that within the pages of your word, you call us to pray. You call us to intercede. And Lord, I just pray that we would graduate as we've been talking in this series so much about praying for ourselves, praying to build a relationship with you. Lord, I thank you that there would just be a maturing within us that we wouldn't just pray selfishly, but we would pray wholeheartedly for other people too. God, help us to intercede. Help us to stand in the gap. Help us to understand that you've called us to take heart and to take authority 
over situations, Lord. And Father, I thank you that as we do out of a motivation of love, as we intercede and as we pray, we will see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We will see situations change. We will see miracles. We will see signs and wonders. We will see salvations. We will see all those things. But because of your goodness and because of your love for us as your people. God, this week, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to put the names of people on our hearts and minds. Maybe people that we haven't thought about for months. Maybe people who we once knew and all of a sudden, Holy Spirit, you're going to begin to, in a dream or just in a, in a still small voice or just in an inclination, bring that name to the surface. And Lord, I thank you that as you do, you will be calling us to intercede for those people, for that person, for that situation. And as we do, we will see results according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Have a great week, Family Church.